Swinton paying Hermosa finds the target. Swinton it was. There's a little short kick from Hodge. Who gets the bounce? It's there for Banks. He flicks it out the back door and a try on debut for Tom Wright. What a start, Australia. Hello and welcome to another episode of Rugby Fixation. I say another episode, but this podcast is going to be quite different in the sense that we've replaced one Aussie in London with another Aussie in London. Uh, this week, I'm joined by my first guest to have his own IMDb page. He is a film director, writer, producer, and even actor, uh, and is currently in post-production on his documentary, Gold Digger, The Search for Australian Rugby, um, and recording a podcast by the same name to help uh, share the word and talk about the game they play in heaven. So uh, he needs no introduction. Matt Durrant, how are you going? Thanks, Mitch. That's a, a very lovely intro. Um, I'm going well, and uh, yeah, it's a real pleasure to be here. It's my first uh, podcast I've appeared on as a as a guest, so hopefully I can uh, I can uh, live up to the the the, the experience. <laughs> I was uh, I was wondering that because I was having a look through, and obviously I've listened to all the podcasts you've done on uh, Gold Digger, and I thought, oh, this is um, great, but. It's, it's hard to transition, I guess, from uh, asking the questions or, you know, mm. then trying to answer them. So, um, look, I've loved all the work you've done, um, especially the podcast I thought with Matt Alvarez and uh, Red Roberts were two highlights. I, I should okay. ask from the get-go, is there a particular uh, interview or segment of interview that's stood out um, just for being particularly different or surprising in what you've come across? Uh yeah, it's it's. I mean, see, people like um, Matt and Reg. I, I haven't interviewed them on the doc for the documentary. So, for me, that was really it was insightful because a lot of what they were saying was stuff I'd never heard of or, ne- or never never thought about. And what I'm trying to do with the podcast is accompany the documentary, but also take people on the journey that I've gone on, which was I started from the point of. I was upset with what was happening with Australian rugby. I was disappointed about the Wallabies, but I wanted to know why, why we were in the situation we were. And so I've sort of gone through all these, uh, I don't know, this almost a, a, a metamorphosis of different, uh, uh, you know, feelings and emotions, but then also sort of points of consciousness where I wanted to figure out, well, where are we at? Is it players? Is it our, is it our talent system? Is it, um, our coaching? Is it something more at an administrative level? Is it the business of rugby? And so what I'm trying to do, I guess, is recreate that journey through the podcast. And so everyone I'm interviewing, I'm sort of trying to talk to them about a particular subject. So, you know, Matt, Matt was hugely, you know, Matt's work has been hugely beneficial from the point of view of going back and looking at our history and at least looking at the biographies of players, which is really insightful. But then he got, you know, he's got so much other knowledge. And, and of course, Reg is one of those just people that has completely been absorbed into rugby culture in Australia. So yeah, I found them them both, both enjoyable just personally. And, you know, without sort of, not that I'm interested in in always listening to the sound of my own voice. I did go back and listen to those episodes because I just, yeah, found it very interesting what they both had to say. Yeah. Um, The the thing I think that struck me the most with, you probably came out in Reg's interview and I'm keen to see more of it as your uh, documentary comes out is I've been, I guess, a viewer of Australian rugby since 2006, which I guess shows my age a little bit. But because of that, I've never really seen the Wallabies at their heyday as the number one team in the world. So I'd say since 2006, yeah. we've probably had times where we've been maybe the second, third and fourth best team in the world. And now we're a bit lower, but I've never really experienced us as an all conquering team. And obviously I know that they had the 91 World mm. Cup and 99 World Cup 
and all these great tours back in uh, the 80s and 90s. So I'm interested and I'm keen to see if, uh, you know, how the people in my demographic are interested in what happened that we were so successful back then and that, you know, that decline has happened. And I, I like one of the things you've said in one of the podcasts, which was the more people are talking about the game, whether it's positive or negative is, you know, the better off it it'll be. And I, I think that's mm. been really true. I know a lot of the people at uh, my work who are, are older than me and have experienced those great wins of the Wallabies. I think there's something in the waters they're sensing, like there's a bit more chat about rugby. The move to stand's been great. Um, the mm. move to having a bit on free to wear and just seeing some of these games over the last few weekends, there's a bit more buzz. Is that something that I guess um, will be covered in the podcast, uh, in the podcast, but also in the documentary you're running about how that's progressed over the years? Yeah, it is. It's, it's you know, it's funny. It's only going to be a 90, you know, there about minute uh, documentary. So there's only so much you can pack in. There are only so many subjects you can touch on and, and really get into the detail of. And that, again, hence why I'm doing the podcast, because I want to be able to have sort of much longer periods of time to talk about certain subjects. But yeah, definitely that that changeover. You know, I mean, look, mate, I'm, 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 I'm just probably a bit older than you in terms of generation. So look, you missed out on some good years. But, you know, at the same time, there were also years that I missed out on that people talk about with great reverence, you know, the, the, nine, the rise in the 1980s and, you know, the 1991 World Cup. So, you know, I, I kind of really started following rugby. So a bit like you, I started following it, knowing that there was this decade or so before of just magnificent stuff that had happened. And, and I think kind of a, we all have our rose-tinted perspective on, on the way things were. And I think what I've tried to do is, you know, I don't want to eliminate any of the, like you said, the positive or the negative portrayals of rugby because it's all important in terms of forming the whole story and there's a lot we can learn from the negative and this is you know and I, I I hate being the sort of cynic but I do try to sometimes even on Twitter sort of try to just challenge people if they've made a point that's you know obviously they're, they're, they're hopeful and they're positive I do sometimes want to just remind people that well hang on we also need a bit of reality check because that's how we're going to learn you know if we don't learn anything from our history then we haven't really achieved anything. And we've got a lot of things that I think we've had to learn. And there are people who I think are working at the highest level who are aware of a lot of these issues. They're trying to address them. Some things are out of our control, but many things are within our control. And I think that's another theme that I've tried to push is that, you know, there's a lot of things we can do. Um, and if we do that, then we will, we will see the Wallabies move up in rankings and we will probably start to see, um, you know, a much better environment for our players and, and our fans. Well, I think 2020 proved to be nearly the perfect year for starting that podcast and having that conversation because yeah. I think there was a lot of opportunity for Wallabies fans to be like, gee, we won one match, we drew three, and then we lost two. You can take that any number of ways. There's so many people I've seen debating whether that's you know a great year, whether it's an okay year, whether it's a terrible year. And really it all comes down to, well, are you optimistic, pessimistic, or do you see this as, you know, an opportunity to build from this are we going to learn from you know those three draws because we really were you know a few kicks away from a brilliant season um Absolutely. i'm probably a little bit more in the mindset of being disappointed by some of those results like i'm still very optimistic about australian rugby but i would have liked to think we could have you know won at least another one if not two of those games but i think it's a really well-timed um introduction for your podcast and i think there's going to be a lot of buzz when the documentary comes out as uh people start really getting into the hype that australian rugby can have a resurgence it's just got to be you know 
positioned in the right way and we've got to be doing the right things to get there. Yeah, mate, I really appreciate that. And I, look, I, you're right. For me, this is a conversation starter. It wasn't a documentary to sort of explain all the questions. Um, you know, I've still got answers myself. I look at the Wallaby year that was in 2020. And yeah, like you, I was disappointed, moments of excitement. But overall, I think I kind of understood. It made sense to me. I was like, yeah, that, that probably is about where we're at in terms of, you know, can, can do something brilliant against the All Blacks, can maybe even surprise them, um, but they'll always come back strong and, you know, perhaps we're not sort of ready to sort of <laughs> bear the brunt of that. Yeah. And then, you know, the, the, the Argentina, I mean, the, the interesting thing about Argentina last year, I thought was, and this is what I think will be the big thing for them, is is how how beneficial the, the Haguaros was for moulding that Argentinian team. And, and with the breakup of the Haguaros now, um, you know, I'd be very curious to see how Argentina fare over the next few years. Well, there was a chance they were going to be able to relive themselves through the Western Force. I mean, they signed mm. what a decent contingent of Argentinians, but I guess with uh, Domingo Miotti eventually going, uh, I think he signed yeah. for Glasgow, so he's not going to be there much longer. And then no. Julian Montoya couldn't get over there. But it segues pretty well. You are a Western Force fan, if I'm not mistaken. So that was... Oh, um, yeah. That was a big catalyst for this conversation. We're coming right in time for the Western Force versus Reds match. I guess I want to ask just before we get into uh, the reviews and previews of the games, um, what was it like as a Force fan? Because you, you're the for, uh, first Force fan that we've had on the podcast. What was yeah. it like in the three years without Super Rugby? And I guess how much did it put you off the game seeing the team you went for um, kicked out mm-hmm. of the Premier competition? Yeah, look, I mean, I I, I, I I, was in Sydney when the force started. And, you know, funnily enough, I moved to Sydney to play rugby because I wanted to be a pro player. Um, spoiler alert, I wasn't. Um, but then the force started and it was, there was, part of me was like, well, do I move back to Perth and try and crack it there? But I was quite settled in Sydney. But then, so I've always been a force fan since they started, of course. And all my, most of my mates were Waratahs fans. So, of course, they'd always nickname me the fast, them the fast. And, you know, so there was always this good-natured ribbing. Of course, I've, I've enjoyed this year when we, we, we were able to get a win on them. But um, in, in general, you know, I've sort of tried to follow them. And I think when, when things went down in 2017, that was probably at a point where my interest in rugby had really waned a bit. So I was a, probably a casual um, follower of Super Rugby at the time. I was sort of you know, I'd talk to my dad, who's a member, and he goes to all the games. So, you know, I'd sort of find out if, oh, okay, yeah, I might watch that game if it was a good game. But I wasn't I wasn't avid um, when it came to following every game. Um, but then, you know, when when things started to go pear-shaped and there was the announcement that they were going to cut a team, that then got me. And there must be something about West Australians. We, we do have a bit of a complex within Australia when – something like that happens. It's those bastards from the East coast and we all need to band together. And, and you saw that in the sea of blue. Um, I was living overseas at the time, pretty much where I am now. So, you know, I wasn't sort of um, there to be be part of anything, but yeah, it was sort of, it was a bit, it was a bad situation, but it was great to see the support come and gather around. And, you know, it didn't surprise me that there was that many people in Perth that were, um, passionate because there's a lot of rugby community. There's a big rugby community there that is very passionate. And then you add the element of WA um, sand gropers sort of, you know, wringing their fists at the rest of the country. So it, it was quite funny, but look, it was a positive. I do talk, I do tackle that just 
quickly in the podcast uh, in the the doco but it was a yeah it was good that they've been able to hold on to it and keep premium premium rugby in perth because i think there's definitely a there's definitely people that will get behind it and support it um but you know i think you know maybe it's a it's a rivalry that's now going to build build on and you know who knows we may even see some of that start to play out over the next year or so as as more players get get recruited and um and built into that fourth setup well yeah we've already seen what two mid-season signings of two wallabies Sitalaki tamani and now yeah. isaac rotter who's probably the most exciting prospect going over um it, it really speaks to how well twiggy forest has kept uh the force team alive and how um ex-captain matt hodgson did such a great job of keeping that team together i think because mm. it's during the global rapid rugby there was still a lot of good names on those team lists and maybe not starting at every super rugby club, but definitely a lot of squad players. I think having the money to buy in, you know, some international experience, you mix that with the likes of genuine starters that could be Wallabies starters in uh, Kai Tu'u, uh, Lee Warner, Ralston. Like they've got a really good mix there. I think it all stems from just keeping that core group together and that never say die attitude. Like the Western force community, it's great to be able to interact with them um, online to have discussions. And a lot of the people that I talk to online are mm. force fans, just evidenced by the fact that they bleed, you know, that sea of blue mentality. They've got the force logo as a display picture. They've got, um, you know, constant uh, discussions about how good the players were, you know, whether it's a win or a mm. loss. Um, so it's definitely a great community to get behind. And it's got me quite nervous for this weekend. Um, I think there's a real... <laughs> Real chance of an upset at Suncorp. Look, I'll, I'll come on to that in a minute. The only thing I'll just point I'll just add is is you also got to remember in WA, in the nineties we had the Western Reds, which was the rugby league team that was part of the the Super Rugby expansion. And you know, was it Mark Guy, Julian O'Neill, the you know Matt Fuller, all these sort of big league names that moved over to Perth, and and it was this exciting time. I, I went to that first game at the the Wacker, um, and it was. It was, you know, rugby, a new code had come to the town and it was a real, and a lot of union people were getting behind it because it was rugby, because it was the closest thing they could have to, you know, a national competition they were part of. That then fell away. I imagine it was more financial reasons and perhaps it wasn't sort of, you know, going to be the winner that the NRL um, or the Super League thought it would be. But um, I think when the force was then on the cusp of getting boned, there was that some people I think were remembering, well, gosh, because the Reds left and then they never came back again and that was it. So I think there was this, you know, once bitten twice shy feeling that if we lose the force, that's it. That will never happen again. And, and that's why you take your head off to um, like Twiki. He, he, he is an eccentric billionaire. Um, he, he probably is the closest we have to a, a crazy French um, billionaire in Australia throwing money around. And, but he loves rugby. He loves WA. Um, and, and he's willing to back it up. And so you've got to take your, your hat off to him for what he's done to keep it to keep it going there. Oh, it's been a very impressive effort. And I think um, all the rewards shown with that uh, win over the Tars last week, I saw you know just the emotion pouring out from the players and the fans. Yeah. It was obviously a massive, um, well, just a massive experience for all of them. Just for you, was that, you know, it seemed like a lot of, I guess, just dessert for uh, sticking it out and putting in all that effort? Look, it was. I, I would have. I was disappointed we didn't win at least one game last year, and I think the game we should have won was against the Rebels. Um, yeah. I, I was not surprised that we were competitive last year, because when you looked at that team that was sort of even the team that first first couple of rounds, and you know those first couple of games they were pretty competitive against um, the Tars and even um, 
even the Reds. Yeah. And it, it was a group, that, there was a lot of players that had been there since 2018. Um, you know, Thr- Thrush has been around, Lee Warner, you mentioned, and obviously, you know, guys like Pryor, old, older heads like Pryor. But then, you know, um, you know, Bracky, um, Byron Ralston, all these guys that are sort of appearing in the back line, they've been there for almost three years. Come Well, by, by that stage, it'd been three years. And, and, you know, they've been playing consistent competition against someone, you know, even though there've been a lot of odd games against, um, you know, I think they played a sort of a, a Fiji sort of invitational team. They played the Crusaders. They had a sort of game against a Barbarians outfit with Nick, the, the Honey Badger. But then they had NRC as well as a sort of a basic kind of spine of a season. So, you know, you go back and actually that squad were able to play somewhere between 15, sort of 15 to 20 games in 2018 and 2019. Um, And so when it came round it, I was like, well, it's not like these guys haven't been playing together. So I wasn't surprised. Obviously it's a different level and it's, and I think it's very unknown to know how they really stack up until they actually play the, the other Australian teams, but you know, it was it was encouraging. And as I said, I, I was I thought they would be good enough to actually maybe get maybe one or two wins, maybe even sneak one against um against the the, the, the Tars or the Reds last year. But obviously, the Reds were sort of really on a I think a different level now. And look, uh, look, you're worried. I'm 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 sort of I'm I'm going to be very honest about this when I when I approach this because I think you know I've part of the process of, of, of looking at rugby the way I have is now is I, I really try to look at it in a very more objective way, you know, sort of put my sort of try not to wear my heart on my sleeve when it comes to sort of picking who's going to win. So um, I'm, I think we'll put up a good fight, but I just don't think we're good enough to, to take out the Reds who are just must be riding so high after their, their, their winning Canberra. Yeah. And I think we'll get into that a bit with a preview, but I think we've seen a team list and, just even seeing that the Reds aren't putting out, you know, a rested side. They're not resting on their laurels after, you know, doing, I guess, the hardest no. job in this competition, which is winning in Canberra. Um, yeah, they're still putting out a pretty strong side. So I'm keen to dig into that a little bit more. Uh, mm. We might go through the review of the games last week um, and just have a look at how both our teams went and also the outer rower sides. Um, we'll start with the New Zealand sides and just quickly go through those because we had two. Um, two exactly the same scores, but two very different games. Uh, the first of the New Zealand games was uh, the Crusaders versus the Chiefs, which ended 39-17. Um, the biggest difference with this was just the all-out attack from the Crusaders. Uh, they ran more than 300 metres, uh, more than the Chiefs did. I think it was 21-1 to one line breaks. It was 33-6 to six defenders beaten. Uh, the Crusaders made 14 offloads. The Chiefs didn't make one. Um, you know, the Crusaders are a counter-attacking team, um, but they have a great set piece and they know how to attack from their scrum and line-out. The Chiefs are normally a counter-attacking team and the Crusaders just didn't let them. There was complete just suffocation of their attack. I think outside of the try that uh, Damian McKenzie scored in the first minute um, without the ball actually going out of play, just off a poor kick from Havili. Um, outside of that, there really wasn't much attack from the Chiefs. Um, so Matt, did you have a bit of a look at this game? We'll see the highlights and... What was your takeaway from it? Look, I saw the highlights and, you know, you, you're right. The, the, the Crusaders are just, they're so sublime. They, they, they just do not give any team an inch. And look, my, my feeling for the, the Chiefs, and this was before I even watched the game, was just looking at the team list, was just how, how settled that Crusaders team are and, and, and how, much, how many replacements they had to call up. 
Um, and I think, you know, while the, the Chiefs seem to have made a couple of a couple of sort of recruitments in sort of the off season, you know, those guys are still trying to sort of, I think, obviously find their place. And, you know, they've got a great player like Sam Kane. One of my curious things is, is would the All Blacks even entertain um, another, another, you know, open side? Uh, or would they be stuck with Sam Kane? Because, you know, guys like Tom Christie are, you know, really showing that they could definitely handle their own in, in a black jumper. And I think what, what sticks out to that is, as you mentioned with the Crusaders on paper, they've had injuries to George Bridge and Braden Ennor, two automatic starters mm. in any Super Rugby team, two All Blacks. Mm. Uh, they had the late scratching from Cullen Grace, who was named at number eight but couldn't play with uh, rib injuries. So they've lost three All Blacks mm. who would normally be starting. And they didn't look any worse off than they've ever looked. They've just got such a great system in place that players can come up whether they're regular starters or not, but they know how the team plays. Um, and I think it just is really evidenced by a set piece because that's where they score a lot of their points from. Uh, the Crusaders, 26 from 26 in all aspects of set piece. I think it was 17 lineouts, uh, nine scrums, didn't miss one. The Chiefs got two out of their four scrums and three out of the seven lineouts. So just completely disrupted. Um, I know they've been missing Brody Retallick uh, in the locking department. They probably missed Nathan Harris a little bit, who I think played for their uh, second team, but hasn't been given the crack since his uh, injuries about two seasons ago. Um, it's going to be hard to come back from, but you can't win a game with that poor set piece. And I think it just shows how strong the Crusaders are really in all aspects. Because I look at the team and think, gee, that back line is you know, better than a lot of international back lines. But then if yeah. their forwards are doing that as well, it's um, oh, it's the envy of every team. Yeah, look, you look, and I think you guys put out a, a great um, overview of, of all the teams and how um, how experienced their very individual players were at the start of the year. And you looked at that Crusaders and they were just, they're head and shoulders above everyone else. Um, they, in my head, in my mind, they are the, they are the gold standard of how a club probably should be run. And I think there's a number of factors. It's something I try to get into in the doco, but the biggest thing is just their, their, their retention of players. The fact that they can bring guys in who have played together, um, either at sort of minor 10 level um, or maybe even sort of um, in, in, a, in, a, in another sort of arena, whether it's sort of uh, represent at an age grade representative level. But that's the thing that they're, they're very rarely putting guys in in the back line who haven't got some level of experience with each other and i think that that helps with defense you know demonstratively and and other teams like the chief I and mean, the chiefs are probably a bit like the, the waratahs at the moment you know they're really they're, they're obviously trying to fill fill gaps and they're sort of having to just define people and, you know that they're guys that are, are talented but they don't necessarily have that that experience with the players either side of them and you know that was that's just sort of was so evident when the you know the, the crusaders were able to fill in gaping holes yeah, um, I'll fill uh, one more stat in just before we wrap up because really there wasn't much to talk about this game other than how dominant the Crusaders were. But only two of the starting Crusaders missed a tackle, just mm. a tackle, whereas only three of the starting Chiefs made all of their tackles. So wow. it just it just screams of just how well drilled this team was. And um, apparently Scott Robertson after the match was saying that they're. Uh, forwards coach Jason Ryan was he wasn't even happy with the performance he was saying that there was more to build on that there was still areas I need to pick up but when you look at you know the stats that come out of this it just shows like not only are they the gold standard it's the standards that they set themselves like they're not happy with you know winning the last four competitions straight they want to get the fifth like they want to keep building and really leave a dynasty that can't be matched so 
Isn't isn't that annoying though when a team comes out and wins and they go, oh, we could have been better. Yep. Uh, it just sometimes it really does get my goat. I'm like, God, just take the win. Know oh. that you're good and you know, piss off. <laughs> Surely the Chiefs just want to verse them again next week and be like, oh, okay, you're happy. You know, you're not happy with that. Yeah. Let's uh, let's go again in round two. Um, yeah. we'll, we'll chase that up with the Blues versus the Highlanders. They had the identical score of 39-17 with the Blues getting up. Um, again, their big thing was just being uh, more efficient with the ball they had. Uh, the Highlanders actually ran the ball 10 more times, but they made 130 less metres uh, with it. Uh, the Blues were just averaging so many metres per run, um, mainly because they've got just 1 to 15. Their forwards and backs can keep the ball alive. Uh, yeah. They're great at interplay. They can um, spot an offload. They can look to see where their players are. And it's a real skill that I think the All Blacks uh, first introduced when they had players like Joe Moody and Brody Retallick giving those offloads um, you know, for inside runners. They just really emulated that um, to perfection, nearly. Because um, they had 50% possession, but just ran in some really nice tries, despite probably not having the best game plan. They turned down a lot of shots at goal because they wanted to score tries. Um, which against the Highlanders who don't probably have their best side out is okay. But I think uh, this weekend against the Crusaders, I'll probably have to change tactic. Um, Matt, did you see anything in the game that really stood out? No, look, they've got so many exciting players, the Blues. And, and I I guess my query about, about the way they play, and you sort of made a great point about, you know, their structure. You know, if they come up against the Crusaders outfit and the conditions aren't there for them to play, a, a, a spread, you know, a real running game. It sort of reminds me a bit of that semi-final when the All Blacks lost to England in the 2019 World Cup. You saw a team that was a great ball-running team that were just outplayed by a team that could could adapt. And, you know, the Crusaders can adapt. So, you know, if the Blues sort of have to sort of go and, um, you know, obviously they're going to be they're going to be full of confidence, full of beans. And I think, you know, they're, they're obviously looking to sort of take that big scalp but if the game changes, either because of the, the conditions or something happens, are the Blues good enough to adapt and play a different game that will, will need to be working against the Crusaders? And I think that's that's probably where they're at. I think anyone who's disputing their firepower, um, it's just a question of whether they're, as a team, they can sort of, you know, they're, they're smart enough to, to play the right game on that day. And I think that's where, you know, surely the forwards coach are supposed to be licking their lips because... Blues have four All Blacks props now, which just seems like a spoil for riches and is really kind of goes against the Blues of the last probably 10 years where they've had this really exciting back line um, but probably haven't been able to get enough front football to utilise it properly. I remember seeing the years of, yeah. you know, um, George Mawala, who I think is still one of the best attacking centres I've seen at Super Rugby level, but just never really got enough ball. He was really like a Samu Karevi mould, but just never got the same ball that the Reds afforded Karevi. So... Um, I'm very excited to see, you know, the likes of Clark and Rico scoring a few more tries and really getting utilized in that back line. Um, for me, I think the game really broke down to the forwards, um, that back row, to have an all, all black back row, um, they just really outshone. And I think the Highlanders missed a trick by putting Hugh Renton at number eight. Um, they had the big body of Marino McEly too, sitting on the bench, who's I think been one of the better number eights in the outer row comp, um, at least of last year. And, just, you know, to not fight fire with fire, to try and have a really defensive-oriented um, back row just yeah. didn't seem like the best strategy. But, I mean, the Highlanders are a building team, um, new coach and a lot of new players coming in. So they're still trying to work out what works best. And, you know, if they get another round of outer roller because Trans-Tasman is looking likely to get cancelled, 
uh, then it's probably not the best or, you know, I should say it's probably not the worst decision for them to experiment and see what team works best for them. Um, we'll probably leave it at that because it wasn't an overly exciting game compared to the Australian games. I'm pretty keen to tuck into the two Australian yeah. games of the round, which um, we'll start with the Rebels versus Force. Ended up 10-7. And I remember watching it. I um, admittedly was quite a few drinks deep uh, watching it. And <laughs> I couldn't help but think, gee, this game is just going so slow. Like there's not there's not enough going on. Like I, I already said as I was watching, I need to rewatch it because I must be missing something. And upon rewatch, it actually was a bit more of an interesting contest. My mm-hmm. problem was there was just a lot of penalties and a lot of stoppages. I thought there was a lot more um, scrums and lineouts compared to especially how um, the Force and Tars game went the week before. And of yeah. course, compared to how the Brumbies and Reds game would eventually be um, the next night. So um, the score ended at 10-7. I thought the Force were pretty unlucky with the penalty at the end there and maybe might have rued the mistake of not going for the kick at the end to try and get the draw and extend it. But uh, Matt, you're the Force mm-hmm. fan. What did you think of the game and how did you rate the performance? Yeah, well, look, you're right. And it doesn't help when the lights go out. And, um, <laughs> no. you know, they, they... <laughs> yeah, I think some of us could have, I mean, to me, it was just the irony of that, given it's the energy state was um, was, was uh, just palpable. Look, I think, I think I, I certainly in, in, enjoyed the, contest and I, I you know if you're a fan of rugby in the nuance you would have watched that and could go wow this is really interesting if you're a, a casual fan and you want to see tries and points it would have wouldn't have been the most exciting um game I, I thought for for my money the rebels played really positive I think a bit more positive than the way they played in previous games and they they were kicking to the corner they were looking to score five points they scored their five their first five pointer of the the season and and so that I thought would sort of open the force up because I think the force have a desire to play fast running rugby. They want to move the ball around um, and, and, but it didn't happen. And then I think sort of the game then just closed up where both teams were just, yeah, wanting to sort of get the win and, and probably play a, a touch conservatively. But then there were just sort of odd errors and stoppages, which, you know, yeah, it does sort of hurt the flow of the game. Um, look, a gutting loss because I think the force were really hoping to back that win up against the Tars and, and they would have smelt blood and they would have known the Rebels could be, um, you know, that, that that could be their sort of their best chance at getting a, a second win in Perth, of course. Mm. Uh, but it didn't happen. And, you know, they've lost by one of the smaller marks. Yeah. Unfortunately, the Force have not really started any game particularly well and they've always been having to claw it back. And it, it was okay against the Tars and they got there in the end. But, um, you know, sort of having, having a game that then sort of slows down, if you're behind and you're chasing the score, um, it just makes things harder for you. Yeah. I think one of the issues with that is, and I saw it a lot on Twitter, was a lot of people complaining, uh, the same people complaining that Ian Pryor was starting over Cavelli have since complained mm. that he wasn't starting this week because they needed the reliable goal kicking. Um, mm. Because... The game just, it, it still annoyed me the second time watching it that neither team took the three on offer. Um, yeah. I was going through some of the, I rewatched it and was just counting down the minutes of all of it. The force, um, I guess we're you know, reasonably happy because they didn't concede any points till quite late in that first half. The Rebels had turned down four penalties um, that were very kickable in the first 20 minutes. I think the force got a little bit gun shy because Jack McIntyre had a shot at goal um, that was reasonably gettable and missed it. And from that point, 
Uh, they ignored another four kickable penalties just in the first half. Um, yeah. And it does make me think in a game that ended up being so close, and I know you can't predict what the final score is going to be, but if there's only a you know, margin of five points at the time, and it might have even been um, nil also at the time of the first kick, um, mm. I, I just don't see why you don't take some of the points because we've seen the Rebels be the worst team in two games and come really close to beating the Brumbies and Reds. Um, yeah. The force by no means were out of that contest. I just think that first kick just dented the um, confidence of Jacob McIntyre so badly that all the other kicks just didn't even attempt. And I would have liked to have seen them get that just to get that scoreboard pressure. Of course. Um, yeah. No, it, it's not clear whose decision that is, is it? Because yeah. you don't see, I know Thrush in this sort of the, you know, seems to be a real leader, obviously, um, you know, stand as the captain, um, Kearney then always seems to be so uh, in the middle of every kind of uh, conference and huddle. And, you know, he's a senior guy with so much experience, you'd expect him to have an opinion. So, yeah, you do sort of wonder who, who you know, and, and maybe that is one of the issues at the moment is, is there too much leadership? Is there too many, too many voices um, to sort of make a decision on that? And, you know, I think the force are definitely trying to sort of play positive rugby and they want to sort of impress their fans. But yeah, I, I wouldn't have been upset if they'd wanted to sort of spend, 20, 30 minutes just, you know, getting two or three penalties on the board and then getting that buffer. Yeah. It's funny you bring up the leadership because it is funny. Like I know um, with prior on the bench, um, Brandon Sanders had his, you know, the C next to his name, but I never really tend to see him get the close up when it's coming to refereeing decisions. They do tend to hover over mm. Thrush and Carney. And like fair, they do have the international experience. They're that bit older, but I mean, Thrush is a very experienced player himself and obviously knows what's mm. best for the team and, you know, what he should and shouldn't be doing. Um, I think one of the things that stood out a little bit was Carney stepped up to try and help out towards the back end. I saw Jake McIntyre missed a kick um, for mm. touch and it was a really devastating one because they were still only yeah. five uh, nil down. We put them in a great position. You could see the frustration. But then Carney pretty shortly after took over the kicking duties, probably because it was the favorable left side and he also missed touch. It's just those little things I think that are stopping them from just quite uh, getting there. I know that the experience is really valuable to the team, but do you find that they might have put a few too many of those players in there? Would you rather see the Jack McGregor's or um, I guess the uh, Brayson Makara coming in, like some of those younger players? Yeah, look, this is what I've been wrestling with since last year. Um, when we started and we had a couple of close closer games that we lost I was really happy with the team they put in because they were really they were rewarding guys that have been there since 2018 and you know you had guys like um obviously Ian Price um super critical um you know Johnny Lance who we haven't really seen much of um this year you know he obviously came back but he's sort of got his his force credentials from years gone by but you know across the team you really had a a good group of guys that were all playing together um now, yes, they've recruited well. They've gotten some some big names. I mean, they've even recruited just guys from other um, teams. Kurandrani. I've got to be honest. I haven't seen Kurandrani do anything excite me this year. Um, Kurandrani's just been Kurandrani. He's a good, solid player. He's reliable. But is he going to give you that, you know, creative space and 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 do something to to add a add a bit of attacking flair? And I'm not seeing that. Um, you know, I think kind of my I am, I'm a bit lament, lamenting the fact that McGregor's not getting more game time. I thought he was one of the shining lights last year. And this is the problem. You bring in Carney, great player that he is, um, experience that he has. Um, and I think even um, McGregor has said, you know, how he's really valued having experience 
as, as someone who he can kind of you know uh learn from but you know what jack the best way to sometimes learn is just to be playing every week yeah. and getting that game experience and he's not getting that and then when he got on last week and he was part of that try like he looked good and so yeah you're right that is and, and i think there is a undercurrent amongst force fans of that they understand what the team are doing they understand that twiggy's trying to sort of elevate them and they're bringing in names but is it at the expense of damaging some of these the development of some of these players that they've had for now two or three seasons yeah that balance is always going to be the hard thing. And I think the discussions came yeah. up a lot, especially around, um, I'm sure you heard Ben Darwin's work with cohesion and all that. Like really, how do you get the balance between those guys that have been there for four or five years, slogging it out that don't quite have the same star power as these new recruits. And how do you balance that out yeah. with, you know, how valuable is experience if it's experience that hasn't been in a test match since 2015, you know, like Greg Holmes, for yeah. example, set to play his 150th game. And I think was, one of the better players of the 2015 World Cup. He was such a real standout for that Wallabies team. But that was really, I think maybe he might've had two games in 2016. He hasn't played test rugby for a while. He hasn't been playing, you know, a lot of super rugby for a while. So I I know he's got a lot of numbers next to his name and it looks quite impressive, but does that really stack up compared to a Tupo or an Alatawa? So just just getting that balance right is going to be interesting. And I, I think speaks to the likes of McGregor and, Angus Wagner and a few of those players that I do want to see get a few more minutes uh, for the force. Yeah. But I do want to touch quickly on the Rebels because um, they probably had one of their better all-round games. I think mm-hmm. a lot of the last few games, they've probably performed better because Tamu has just taken over the reins with the kicking tee or Corabetti's just made all these massive breaks and has looked phenomenal for the you know the Rebels. He's probably yeah. the first player that's going to be on the Wallabies team list just based on what we've seen so far. But I thought it was really the first game that um, Stacey, Illy, Tom Pincus, and Lockie Anderson stepped up. Um, mm. Not just because there was that one little try, but Illy got really involved and made a few breaks and looked pretty good. I always had a bit of time in the Mitre 10 Cup system, and he he probably showed a bit of that, um, you know, some nice breaks. But I think it was the first time the whole back line actually seemed to get involved and spread the ball around. It wasn't just this 10-man rugby. So I'm keen to see what they do to the Tars uh, this weekend. I don't think it's going to be overly pretty. I'm a bit upset Cody's not here, so we can uh, talk about how many points the Rebels <laughs> might put on them. But I think that was probably the first time that the Rebels as a whole team um, actually performed as a team. And I'm very keen to see what they do for the first home game. Yeah. And look, I think, I think you know, you're right. That, and, the, and the you know, you touched upon it with um, um, the combinations there and how, how critical they are. You know, that was, that was um, you know, the third game that you had um, Tamur. Um, Hodge and, and Illy working together, you know, so they've, they've had that that whole season, you know, um, uh, David Vessels is picking and sticking. He's, he's, he's sticking with guys. And I'm I'm glad that Tamur is and is not <laughs> moving around and they're yeah. trialling. I mean, this is my question for the for the Wallabies is, you know, uh, is, is Hodge going to be sort of, you know, used as a 10 again? Because if not, then, you know, he, he should be staying where he is. But um you know that that grouping, and of course, then Powell, who's you know again, he's not going to be uh, unfamiliar to the other players. That that really did seem to work quite well, and they just look um, a bit more settled. And, and then of course, you got Corabetti on the on the wing, who's just and you say he's on the wing. Actually, he's everywhere. He gets involved, yeah. and you know he's the most electrifying man in in, uh, in in Australian rugby right now. Which gives a great deal of um, I guess excitement for what Suliasi Vinavali could become. So. Might mm. segue that to the Reds game because he he got his first try. He didn't set the world alight, but he's um, yeah. 
he's the man that Rugby Australia wanted. Like they've made a great deal of effort to get him over here. So I think they'll be happy to see him, you know, on the scoreboard and see him getting a bit more involved and probably using his height a little bit. Uh, the yeah. Reds and Brumbies had one of the best games at Super Rugby I've seen, you know. Um, mm-hmm. And I think Dan McKellar put it best when that was just a great game as neutral. He sort of wished he was in the fan as a neutral because it was just a great <laughs> spectacle. Um, you know, win or loss, you could be happy with the performance both teams put out. Um, I I actually probably think the Brumbies were the better team. Um, mm-hmm. And I think the only real difference was the captaincy and leadership of James O'Connor. I think that was probably the mm-hmm. thing that got the Reds over the line. I know Taniella Tupo did a great deal in the scrums at the end, but that game, the Brumbies just looked really, really impressive from the outset. And it was just kind of the belief in the, um, I guess, tenacity of some of those Reds players to hold out. Um, they did a great job to claw that back. And, you know, some of the times they went for kicks, they were down 17-0. They went for the post twice. They were down 24-13. They went for a penalty goal. Uh, they were down 38-30 yeah. to 30 with eight minutes left. They went for a penalty goal. Like, they just really believed in the system. And I think that's invaluable for what Brad Thorne's instilled in this team. So, um, Matt, what did you make of this game? Was this, you know, the peak of Super Rugby? Yeah, it is right now. It was, it was at the moment, these are the two best teams in Australian rugby going hammer of tongs and they're now building a rivalry. And I think that is what's through, what this, this is, this is the proof of why it's important to have uh, players that fans can identify with and teams that have a rivalry. You see it in AFL, um, you know, my, my team, the West Coast Eagles years ago played against the Sydney Swans and for about three, four years, they were these close games that were always ending by less than a goal and the players were always, and it was going both ways. And I think, you know, that, that is just so engaging for not just fans of those clubs, but other everyone else when they see a rivalry between two teams. And I think it would be, the Brumbies and Reds would be the envy of all the other super rugby clubs right now in terms of that rivalry and, and how it's now starting to to build. You know, everyone's going to be so, so excited for the second round up in up in Brisbane because you know the Brumbies are going to be just absolutely itching to, to get one back and get square. Um, in terms of the game, I mean, look, I'm, I'm going to be that guy. Did anyone query whether Pattaya was in front of the kicker um, on that try. Cause I didn't see any replays. I didn't see anyone bring it up and all the angles I could see, it, it just looks like he's lateral, but then, you know, he's such a guy who plays on the edge. And by the time the ball touches the foot, it looks like he could have been, but then again, I don't know. It was, it was as I said, the angle wasn't quite right. I'm happy to play Stevie Wonder in this role. I, I saw nothing. It looked great. It's um, <laughs> try stands. Yeah. Um, look, it's a great point. And it does um, actually link to something that I've saw a lot on Twitter, normally uh, for the positive reason, which everyone was really um, complimenting Nick Berry because he really put the whistle away that match. Um, yep. I mean, not that there was that much to call up anyway, but some of those marginal calls we have seen blown up as penalties, um, I think he just saw the flow of the game and realized, well, actually, that's not impacting it that much. Um, yeah. I'm only going to really need to blow that up if it's you know becoming an issue. So we saw one of the lowest penalty counts I've seen for a while. It was only 18 across both teams. Um, 12 of them went to the Brumbies. But mm. between that and the really limited amount of stoppages, um, yeah. I mean, we saw 50 lineouts or scrums in the Western Force versus Rebels game. There was only 29 in the mm. Brumbies and Reds. So it was a very different kind of game to watch because of that reason. So uh, whether he, you know, had the whistle away and just wasn't ready to look for other reasons because there was nothing blatantly obvious, yeah. but um, look, it's inspired me to go back and watch that. Now I'm going to have to have a look and just make sure I can 
uh, confidently say we won or whether I have to say it with a little bit more um no, look, it's Humility. done. It's done now. The game's yeah. over. That mate, the, the score, the school on tells the story. But like, the books. you're right. The, you know, the, the 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 Reds really did come back. Yeah, O'Connor is coming into his his own as a now mature player with a cool head, and they're sticking to a plan. That plan may not have won the game, but they probably would do it again and again because, you know, whatever it is, three three out of four times it'll probably get you the it'll get you the um uh, the cookie. Um, one, one point that I sort of has been made to me by someone else that I thought was really valid is looking at the Brumbies, you know, we all think that they are at the moment, probably one of our better teams. They're settled. They, you know, they're probably the closest we have to a Crusaders like outfit in terms of their retention, but geez, weren't they vulnerable come scrum time after, you know, a red card the week before and then, um, an injury and, you know, all of a sudden their, their, their front row ranks, you know, they had, they had a lot of rookies in there. And I think that was showed, and I think that was a huge factor in in the back end of that game. Yeah, well, that was really the sole cause for Tupo's second half dominance. Like when Co and yeah. uh, Tom Ross went off, I think they had Harry Lloyd and uh, Archie Holtz, who was making his debut. It's not really a position you want to be in against probably the biggest prop that's running around in um, Super Rugby AU, maybe besides from Pony Farmasuli. But um, yeah, they just really dominated the scrum from that back end, and it shows mm. how you know, vile it is to keep a healthy team. I remember yeah. at the start of the season when Liam Wright uh, went down as injured, he was someone that um, we sort of earmarked as being one of the players they couldn't really afford to lose. And Scott Young's done a great job uh, filling in, I think. But as a leader, he was really a, a valuable piece, both in the lineouts, um, in his ability to get them uh, reinvigorated and get involved in rucks and sort of the follow me attitude. I think we saw that the leadership at the Brumbies is a little bit thinner than we probably would have thought. Um, I instinctively thought that Nick White would get the captaincy with Alalatawa uh, yeah. suspended. And I do wonder if Cusack was um, pot- potentially not the right call for captain, only because he hadn't been starting the last few weeks. They'd clearly shown that Jerome Brown was their preference at seven. Um, mm. Cusack had been with the team for a while. He's never really been a confirmed starter. Um, he got a lot of time last year because Brown wasn't available. Uh, and I know he had a bit of a injury niggle at the end, but he only made six from his nine tackles and he's the open side flanker, you know? So yeah. you would think he'd be a little bit more involved in the game and maybe just a bit of a reluctance to not take the points when you have that lead. But I don't know. It's, it's something to review because all the super rugby teams at the moment have a different captain to what was initially named at the start of the season. Uh, with Pryor being benched, you know, he's no longer captain. Um, James O'Connor's obviously stepped up for right. El Atoa wasn't available. And for the Tars, uh, they're lost without Jake Gordon. So I mm. think it's really shown that O'Connor's probably done the best job in stepping into those shoes as captain and showing how far he's yeah. come since his, you know, early days in Australian rugby because captaincy was probably the last thing anyone was going to give him, you know, in 2010 when he first came onto the scene. Yeah, and I think I think like the, the the thing that I I look back and seems to be when you look at successful teams, the common denominator is normally when you've got a good leadership group, but also it's more than that. It's about when the players really control the running of the team. If you've got a young team that's looking to their coach and waiting to get to half time to know, okay, well, what the hell do we do? It's probably a sign that they're not going to be that successful. But when you've got a good spread of guys who understand the role, understand the situation, and can make decisions that's probably a sign that you've got a team that knows what to do in the 75th minute. And I think that's where you see the reds, you know, from, from, from throughout all those players, you know, they've got really good, strong 
and they're not necessarily they're all captains, but I think they're guys that know how to work together. And you know, I think the Brumbies are the same, and, that, and that's sort of where you, you're going to sort of see teams, perhaps like the Force, and you know, who do have a lot of leadership. Once those those players understand how they all kind of work together, um, you'll see them come together. I mean, the, the Waratahs, and we'll, we'll get to them, I'm sure, but you know, that, that, I think they've got some really good guys there. It's just they probably haven't kind of got that confidence to sort of make decisions. But, you know, the benefit of being the team that they are right now is it doesn't matter. Like, they can make decisions, they'd be bad. No one would expect anything less. Yeah. You know, they can kind of just throw, throw the rule book out and, and have a crack. And that's one of the things that I hope they embrace this week because I don't think anyone's expecting them to win at Amy Park this weekend. It's going to be the first game that the Rebels have played there in over a year. Um, the Tars obviously haven't won a match this year in Super Rugby AU, so... They may as well go all guns blazing, um, really try and focus in on something that, you know, can get them this, you know, win because it doesn't seem like it's going to come from many other avenues. Yeah. Um, we will probably touch on the previews in a sec because there's been um, the first podcast where we've actually had the team list out first. So I'm keen to yeah, talk about some of the changes, but I, I thought I'd just... Run... Sorry, sorry to interrupt, Mitch. Do you mind if I jump back just quickly with the Brumbies and the Reds? Yeah. There was a point I was going to make because I was just looking, um, you know, back in... Uh, 2017, the NRC final between the Canberra Vikings and Queensland Country, which um, Brad Thorne was was um, was coaching. It's just fascinating to see some of the teams that the guys lining up for those teams. The Vikings had um, Flaufanga, uh, Darcy Swain, Valentini, Cusack, Roy Lonigan, Lenny Katow, Andrew Murhead, Tom Banks, and then the Queensland Country got Alex Murphy, Tenley Tupo, uh, Angus Blythe, Angus Scott Young, uh, Hamish Stewart. Uh, Philip uh, Dalgunu. Um, it, it's just, it's fascinating when you really, you know, we, everyone's been talking about why these teams are doing so well. And you just look back and you say, well, that that is part of the answer right there is you've just got guys that are four years later, they've been part of a system, they've played with each other, um, in one case with the same coach. And, you know, that is what we're now seeing in, in you know, the proof is in the pudding three or four years later. You know, and uh, I think for, for fans of those clubs, though, who would have been able to watch these guys progress and go from NRC to Super Rugby, it's also, you know, very satisfying. I think that sums up perfectly because those two teams, as you mentioned, you can see the correlation between those NRC sides and the Super Rugby sides. And it's something that's been brought up to death is that the New South Wales rugby system never really utilised NRC. They had four teams, I think, yeah. at the start and... They never really prioritised one. There was, you know, some sent to the Stars, sent, uh, sent to the Rays. A few went to the Rams, but, like, there was never really a great identity of, you know, which team belongs where. I think it was, you know, just sort of doing it for the sake of doing it. And then the Melbourne Rebels, who a lot argued, well, shouldn't they have capitalised from this? Shouldn't they be improving? But they had that issue of their starting team was nearly predominantly uh, Wallabies, that back line. So they would all go up for Wallabies duties. And the NRC yeah. team that they produced just never resembled a team that would play Super Rugby. There'd be all these great mm. names who were promising players. Um, but when it came to Super Rugby season, you'd see, oh, they've only got two of those Melbourne Rising players actually in the 23. So yeah. I think you're right, the Vikings and Queensland country in particular, but also Brisbane City. Um, and of course, the the Western side as well, just did a great job of using the NRC for the best benefit for their Super Rugby side. Yeah. Um, I'll touch quickly on the teams of the week just before we get to the previous, because yep. I'm, I'm very keen to break down um, the two Australian games uh, for the Australian competition. I thought Tom Robertson, um, Falao Fainga and Tani Latupo 
probably deserves some mention there. Tom Robertson's mm-hmm. done such a good job since going to the Western Force. And I think just the work rate he's got, it was 12 from 12 tackles. And he just, you know, he held up um, Pony Farmer in the scrum as best he could, who's, you know, again, one of the biggest bodies in the comp. So I thought that was impressive. Uh, Darcy Swain and Trevor Hosea, I put in the locks. The locks, I think, continue to be a bit of a questionable point. Um, obviously, a lot of our talent went overseas, but Swain and Hosea are proving that they're really competent at this level. And I'm keen to see, um, especially Hosea, get another crack in the Wallabies squad. Uh, I put Fergus Lee Warner, Richard Hardwick, and Pete Samu in the back row uh, with Joe Powell and James O'Connor in the halves. And then a back line that was pretty much made of the Reds and Rebels who looked pretty good in attack. Uh, Cora Betty and Lockie Anderson on the wings. Hunter Paisami and Stacey Illy in the centers and Jock Campbell at fullback. So just off those names, was there anyone else that you think is a bit hard done by not to get a mention there? No, I think I think you were spot on. I, I don't I don't think the the Brumbies um, backs dazzled like they have in previous years. They were good, but they didn't um, stand out. And and no, I think you're, you're spot on with sort of uh, uh, certainly the the Rebels. Um, you know, Corabedi and Anderson. You know, were sort of very critical getting their ball moving forward and 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 just probing and attacking the sides like they hadn't done in a, in, a, in a while. Um, no, mate, it's, it's a you could you could probably make two or three different variations and everyone would have an opinion, but I think um, there's nothing wrong with any of those selections. I don't know if it's a uh, sign of not enough uh, coverage with the podcast or if it's a sign of good Mm. picks, but I don't get too much hate mail about the team. So (laughs) honestly, if you are, if you hate the team or if you think, Oh, you didn't say Rob Valentini or James Hanson, put them in. Um, Honestly, uh, hit me up on Twitter. Happy to have the discussion because you know, a lot of the times there's players I got bracketed. Um, the Alto roller side, I think, is normally a bit easy to pick apart, especially with this weekend, because it was really pick some blues and pick some crusaders, and the rest sort of falls in place. Um, I got Carl Tuanuka Afi and Offa Tuanga Farsi as the blues props with uh, Ash Dixon inside him. I think he's a good leader for the Highlanders and came off the bench um, and just sort of helped claw back the scoreline a little bit. But mm. um, I mean, you could put Cody Taylor in there because he's probably the, the form player in the world at the moment. Um, I've got Scott Barrett and Sam Whitelock in the locks with uh, Akira Yuani, Dalton Papali'i and Fetu Douglas in the back row. Uh, Mitch Drummond and Richie Monga in the halves, but Terry Black did a great job and you know, I could understand if people wanted him there. Uh, and then in the back line with them, I've got Lester Fainguranuku and Imani Narawa on the wings with David Havili and Rico Yuani in the centres and Will Jordan at fullback. And the big difference I see whenever I do these teams is just that outer rower side, you could put in a all blacks Jersey and just think, gee, that's a really formidable side. Whereas when I do it with the AU sides, I tend to get a lot of players that aren't yet established wallabies or some that aren't even on the French. So I don't know whether that's a, a good sign for the depth we're creating or whether that's maybe a sign of, you know, our established players not quite putting their hand up high enough. But just uh, from the highlights you saw, was there any other players you'd want to add to that outer roller side? No, mate. Look, I, I, I haven't sort of. Um, I probably haven't watched outer Road to the degree that I have um, Super Rugby AU. Certainly, um, you know, you're, you're safe putting Crusaders and Blues together. I guess the, the curious thing that I find with with outer roller though is is that you know we we look at the Chiefs and go, okay, well they're getting they're under the pump. They're still a very good team, and they've still got pretty good retention. They've got you know plenty of experience there. They they just happen to be in one of the most, probably the most competitive provincial competitions in the world right now. Um, so you know to go through and not get any wins in that competition is not really a sign that you're a you're a crap team. It just you know it's just really really tough. 
I think that's why I'm a little bit slightly happy. I guess I still want to see the Trans Tasman comp mm. go ahead, but I think mm. it'd be quite upsetting to see, say, the Chiefs and Tars both go through winless, but then have the Chiefs beat two, three, even four of our Super Rugby AU sides. So I yeah, guess yeah. I'm glad that that question doesn't need to get answered, but um, <laughs> we'll, we'll see if that does go ahead. I, I'm still holding out a lot of hope that uh, our sides would be quite competitive. Um, we might transition that into the Super Rugby AU previews. I, I won't touch yeah. on the outer roll sides just because we don't have the team list out. Um, and I'd like to be as thorough for all teams, but mm. I really like the look of some of the changes made to these sides. Um, if we look first at the Rebels versus the Tars game, um, just a real nice contingent here. I'm really excited that they've got the Burn Boys in for the Melbourne game. They've got all four of the uh, Melbourne base players uh, actually playing at Amy Park. So Jordan Ulysses comes onto the bench for Ed Craig, who didn't yeah. get used last week. Uh, Matt Gibbon comes back into the uh, reserves, who's a great prop. And I thought, you know, I'm glad he's back from his injury because he should be starting nearly. Uh, he comes in at the expense of Ido Kalia. And then Rob Liotta's on the bench instead of uh, Ross Haylett-Petty, who's out suspended. So Steve Cummins will start yeah. at lock for him. Um, the side looks pretty impressive. And as you said, the uh, review for the Rebels, Wessels has done a great job of keeping that side together. Like that side is looking nearly identical week in, week out. There's one or two changes to the bench or maybe one starter, but that back line has been the same the whole way through. That's four games in a row. So yeah. very impressive. Yeah, look, I think um, you know, the the they, they had a they had a couple of guys, you know, obviously um uh you know Bill Bill Meeks sort of going out last season that you know they had a lot of players leave. Um and um I think kind of their you know, where they're where they're they're drawing on stocks, they're probably not the sort of stocks that other people have. Um sorry, Matt Phillip was the one I was thinking of, probably the most standout um who they haven't had. So he's been a huge loss and you know, I think they're doing as best as they can. Um, the fact that they've settled on where Tamu is playing and and who who's playing outside him to me is the most positive because it's just giving them that consistency every week to play a certain style of game. I think Matt Tamu is one of the smartest rugby players that we have. Um, I think where you then see things not work for him is just when uh, around him there are just you know it's the little things it's those little kicks. But I think once the rebels get set. They'll probably back end into this this competition and do quite well. They might even, I reckon, they could, a bit like last year, sneak into that third spot. And then who knows? You know, they've shown that they can match it with both the the Reds and the Brumbies. But no, look, their 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 tails will be up. You know, a win, a win on uh, over in over in the Golden State, back on a plane that night with their sort of, you know, the the movie and the uh, the airplane food would have all been a bit bit sweeter for it and then they're, now they're in their hometown and they've got their, their their home crowd behind them so and and they're against a very under you know a, a, an embattled waratahs outfit so they'll be i think they'll be looking for a good solid win rather than a um you know a, a limping over the line as you say there with that uh sort of that battle for third place it, it really is between the rebels and force at the moment it seems and i get the sense that if the rebels manage a bonus point win here it just extends that lead presuming the reds beat the force um it extends that lead on the ladder quite a bit with only four games to mm. follow um it, it does create a bit of pressure for other sides to get a win because it does seem uh, quite obvious now that the reds and brumbies have locked up the top two i think that was yep. pretty well established before the season started but this third place is still really up for grabs so i'm i'm very keen to see how the rebels actually cope with getting their first win 
And if they respond with, you know, this resounding win at home that they probably should. Um, it carries over to the Tars who they're versing and they haven't made too many changes um, predominantly off the bench. They've brought in George Francis and Darcy Breen uh, as their reserve props. Very keen to see George Francis get a crack after being probably the form loose had prop in uh, the Brisbane Premiership rugby. Sam Wikes makes his long-awaited return from injury and he replaces Jack Wedden on the bench. And then uh, Lalakai Fichetti comes in for Tristan Riley, who Fichetti was a pretty regular starter 2019. Um, got a bit of game time because he can play 12 and 13 and he's been safe, um, I'd say, more than anything. But I'm keen to see him get a crack. And then the thing that the Tars did uh, last week where they swapped Maddox and Nwankanita Wasi, they've done up front. So Harry Johnson-Holmes and Tatera Faulkner swap sides of the scrum as well. So uh, HAH yeah. goes to one and Faulkner goes to tighthead. So um, are those changes going to be enough for the Tars to put up a credible performance and maybe give the Rebels a bit of a scare? Or do you think that it's a drawn-out win already? No, look, I don't do think it's a drawn-out win. And, the, and the, 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 what I'm waiting for the, to see... What happens is, is I really think Will Harrison is a is a fantastic player, and I think there's really something about him. I think he's showing character right now because he's in a really. It, it could go either way. He could just get really crushed by this experience he's going through right now as a young kid coming in, um, or it's just going to harden him to to the degree with which this really defines the way he plays for the rest of his career. He never wants to be. He'll never want to be part of a team that has to go through this again, and and so it could go either way. You know, he's, he's been pretty, you know, he's, he's always been selected. He's, you know, he's now got sort of, you know, a number of games under his belt and he's got some guys outside him who are, are all on the same level. And I think that could sort of inspire them as, as a group of young guys to feel that, like, you know, at one, some point we all got to stand up. Now, will they get that support from the forward pack? I think that's what you've made a great, you know, that's what we're looking at now is, you know, are these changes, can the Tars get up and, you know, there's a back row there that should be good. You know, Tizano, I think, has been one of the shining lights in, in that in that setup this year. Yeah, he's a great player. Um, unfortunately, he he was he was you know, the force missed out on him. Obviously, couldn't hold on to him, but he yeah, he was spent a bit of time at the force in those um, purgatory years. And and of course, Swinton and Dempsey are you know are no slouches. So you know, if the Waratahs can front up and actually um, you know, get some ball, get some position, maybe draw a few penalties. They've then got a, a kicker who, who hasn't been missing much. I think his his accuracy rate for for kicking Harrison is in somewhere in the nineties. He might still even be at a hundred for the season, given how few tries they've scored. He's um, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, you, as you say, like last year, he was just phenomenal, and I think that's where the great debate came between: do we want a player that might be a bit more attacking and Lola Seo playing for the Wallabies, but kicking around that sixty-five to seventy-five percent, or do you want a Will Harrison who is playing uh, that little bit safer, um, probably not taking the ball to the line as often, but is you know doing the role of a goal kicker and getting 95 or at least 90% of his kicks in. So I think he's going to be very vital to that team. Um, Tempai Maroa still needs to prove himself as his inside centre. He doesn't have Carmichael Hunt to rely on as that safety option at 12 anymore. So I am keen to see him develop because he was talked up a lot uh, coming through. And I think we said a lot in the preseason that this Tars team has so much potential. I mm. wrote them off straight away and said, oh, they'll probably finish fourth or fifth. Like they just don't have the cattle. But when I started looking at the you know combined team I'd make of the Reds and Tars, if I was to put one together, I wasn't actually choosing that many Reds outright favorites. Like I was choosing a lot of Reds, but there was a lot of players. I went, well, actually Angus Bell is a really good player. He probably should be starting there. And Dave mm. Brecky doesn't look too bad. Like he's not, 
you know, that far beneath a Alex Mafia or a Pangramosa, like putting the teams next to each other, I realize this team just hasn't played enough together. They just need to get that consistency, yeah. um, you know, get some minutes under the belt. Um, I'm probably going to settle this for a, a Rebels win by about 12 points, I'd say. I don't think it's going to be quite as dominant as it should be, but I think they will get, um, you know, the wind in the sails being at home. And as valiant as effort the Tiles can put in after the buy, I just, they probably don't have quite the cattle for that push yet. Yeah, look, I think the I think the Tars will come out and 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 shock the Rebel. I, I think it'll be a bit closer. I'm gonna probably, if I was betting, I'd say somewhere between eight to ten. I think it'll be there'll be a try in it, but then someone will get a buffer and you know kick a penalty and then put it out of contention. I actually think it'll be a lot closer. I, I just I just feel that the Waratahs have got absolutely zero to prove and um you know or, or everything to prove depending on how you look at it, and and they will sort of try things. And if if they're their backline can get unlocked and and uh, and create some points. Then, you know, the rebels will will then have to sort of really kind of fight for the win. Yeah, well, I'm glad to hear because I I would love a close contest. I think it's what the game needs is just that really seesawing battle. Um, I, I think even as I was watching the Reds and Brumbies game, I found myself thinking, "Gee, this has been a good game of rugby." Like I didn't mm. really mind in the end. Obviously, as a Reds fan, I, I was stoked with the win and. I was pushing for a win. I was surprised it came from a Pasami grubber, but um, it was just a great game. So I think the neutrals mm. could really get behind a game if it is a bit high scoring, if it is a little bit um, closer out. I don't want to see another 61 to 7 or whatever the score was. That the 61 to 10, I think the Brumbies beat them by. Like I think the Waratahs are past that now, and I don't mm. think the Rebels are going to be the team that puts in a score like that. Um, no, I don't think they have the attacking... Uh... Uh, firepower the rebels and that's why i think it'll be a bit closer is it'll 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 come down to sort of penalties and and crucial decisions that are getting made at, at critical moments unless they move uh corin betty into first receiver if he just does <laughs> all the teams like he just might put him at, just put him at halfback yeah we, just... we know we know he loves sitting behind a ruck and and, and darting down oh without nice in the team he's taken more of the pick and drives from rucks than any other player i think yeah um, We'll transition that to the uh, Reds and Force game. I'm really excited for this. I think I'm going to try and get to Suncorp for this because from the outset, I thought this was going to be a great game because while I think the Reds have um, a better starting 15, um, I, from the outset, thought that the Force have such a deep squad that I'd be interested to see the comparison mm. between a young Reds team that's got a lot of current Wallabies versus an older Force team that's got a few ex-Wallabies and a few ex-internationals from... Uh, New Zealand, Ireland, and a few uh, current Argentinians. So I never thought it'd be a, um, I guess, wipeout victory if we got the chance to play at Suncorp, but I'm feeling pretty confident that they've named a very settled team. Um, the only changes for the Reds is Kalani Thomas coming in for Moses Soravi on the bench, uh, Hamish Stewart replacing Josh Fluke on the bench, and then uh, Ilasaya Indrasesi replacing Filippo Donguno on the left wing. So not massive changes. Um, We've still got a big West contingent in the back line for the Reds. Um, but the team looks really promising. Um, I'm glad they stuck to pretty much the A team and didn't treat this as a walkover because this force team is going to have a bit of a point to prove, I think, after coming so close in Suncorp last year. I think it was only seven points in it, but they scored the same number of tries. And for a decent chunk of the match, they were in the lead. So I think they're going to come in with a lot of confidence having bolstered their side. Mm. Look, I think the force, there's there's something about the Reds. And I don't know if it goes back to when the force were created, you know, and you know, it's pretty well documented that there were a lot of, I mean, it was, um, you know, 
almost referred to as a bit of a Reds A team or Reds B team, um, depending on what it was. But they had a lot of, you know, Queensland Reds go and, you know, cement that starting team. And ever since, I feel that the force have always, it's not complacency or confidence, but they've always felt comfortable playing against the Reds. And um, even though I think the Reds have always been, you know, probably the more dominant team, there's always been that familiarity. And I think you still got that now, even though the force is now a much different team and it's spread apart. I think they, they go to Queensland knowing that, uh, you know, we, 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 we're not completely out of in, in, in enemy territory. You know, we've been here before, we've, we've gone close before. And so they'll, they'll have that confidence. Um, but you're right, that Reds team is, is, is very settled and they haven't really um, deviated too far and I mean you know guys like Murphy who I think are playing outstandingly and really putting his name his hand up for for all of his selection you know it's keeping um you know Brendan Pango Amosa off the on on the bench you know and like that's just a a sign that they've got some really good depth and critical um situations now Seru uh, Uru is just is sitting there and you know he's he's he he showed that he he's going to have a great role as an impact player and I think you know he would have probably even been more emboldened by having, um, you know, experienced player like uh, Solokai Loto come back because it then takes that pressure off him and then he can play that supporting role. So, you know, that is my concern is that the Reds just um, are not really going to be having to panic, you know, you can just play the same game. And it's about whether the force can penetrate that, that, uh, that, that, that armour that the Reds have built. Yeah. I think that's going to be, I guess something that um, the force are hoping to counter with some of the changes they've made to their team. Cause mm. I, I think looking at the team that they've named, they, they probably could have done a few things a little differently in my opinion, just I see Tim Anstey coming back in and just, he was the whole reason they beat the Tars. Like he was mm. phenomenal, like scored one try, set up the other for Lee Warner. Uh, he comes in on the bench for um, Thomas Lozano. Uh, Tony Pulu is uh, out for Brachy on the bench. Um, they've moved Kahui to the left wing. Uh, where I think he won his World Cup on the wing. So that's, um, you know, potentially a good sign. And uh, Henry Taifu comes in at inside center. So I think that's going to be a nice little balance in the back line. But um, the big change is Greg Holmes instead of Lucky Tamani getting their starts. That's two very experienced players, uh, two big players too. I think you can't really ask for much more than a player that's had 144 games for the Reds, notching up his 150th at Suncorp, uh, yeah. going up against... Um, the you know the Reds front row like that's what the Reds credit a lot of their dominance to like they got Tanya Latupo up there who's a big body, uh, Dane Zander who's not a household name but is you know also 130 kilos about 193 centimeters I think like just mm. is a big boy and um, I think Greg Holmes he's probably the man for the job you want you know if you're trying to hold up a scrum, not many people have done more scrums uh, than him so I'm keen to see his impact and I'm keen to see Sitalaki Tamani get his crack uh, starting for them. Are you happy with the team they've uh, put out or are there changes to this that you'd like to see to give them a better chance? Look, they're, they're, I, 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 there's too many changes for me and, I, and it's one of those things that I'm sort of, I, I'm, I'm really sort of seen as a, what seems to be a really consistent thing with teams are successful is you don't have to keep changing and changing because presumably the selections you made in round one was the best team and, you know, yeah. if you're having to sort of make too many selections in round two, well, what didn't you get right in round one? And and so my, I guess they're clearly selecting a team for the Reds and, and for where they are at this point in the season. And, and I just hope that it's not chaotic moving around. Kahui's all class, but all of a sudden he's playing on the wing when for the last two years he's been playing in the centres. Is that going to be a positive change? Is that going to add anything? Tafu's a great player. Tafu's been there for a while. 
Um, and, and maybe it's about bringing in someone who can just square up with, you know, Paisami. Um, it, clearly they're putting some extra, um, extra kilos on the scale uh, across the team. And that may be part of the strategy. I think what has disappointed me in about um, the force in uh, is one, one element of their game that always seems to be frustrating is their line out uh, efficiency. They seem to be, uh, it sort of has been quite consistent. They've just been lo- losing line outs and that, that will get really exposed if they can't win their lineouts against the Reds. So, you know, hopefully with the guys that they've got, um, you know, Lee Warner obviously is pretty critical to that. And, um, you know, if, if, if Angsty comes in, you're right, he's going to add a lot more um, and maybe even, you know, add, 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 add something when the game opens up a bit. But no, I mean, it's a, it's curious. Um, again, would love to be seeing McGregor in there somewhere. Yeah. I don't know why. I just love McGregor, and I think he really adds something. And, and maybe that's going to be the second half when they really start clearing the bench and um, trying to use their replacements. And I think that's what we saw was you know they were down ten um, 0 against the Rebels, and it was their bench that came on and made that impact. So I, I'm mm. keen to see what they can do. Like the injection of some of those players should be quite impressive. And as you said, I think this is where they really miss having. Um, uh, Julian Montoya in the team because he was mm. probably the most talked up of their signings uh, before they came across. And Vladi Kartu yeah. has done a great job in the loose. And I, I remember watching the game um, live while, again, uh, wasn't at my most analytical state. Um, and I just thought, geez, he's had a great game. He's getting in amongst everything. He's making tackles. He's making runs. This is great. But then on rewatch, I was like, well, actually, the core role as a hooker is, you know, get the throw for the line out and also perform me a role in the scrum and the scrum held up all right yeah. but just the number of lost lineouts and even the lineouts at Canada's one lineouts um they were thrown long and you know someone managed to just dive on it and salvage a play like it, nothing looked mm-hmm. polished or tidy the suspension of Andrew Reddy hasn't made that any easier because they've got a 19 year old who's got no experience on the bench but even Andrew Reddy I don't think is a renowned lineout thrower um I, I yeah. think he's got some great aspects to his game but I don't think he's going to come in and fix all of those issues. So again, a big issue for them to tidy up, but um, at the same token, Murphy and Pangramosa haven't always been renowned as the best line out throwers. So this might be the time to sort of mm. disrupt and unsettle that. Um, I'm very keen for the game. I think with the changes made with the form that the teams are in, I'm probably gonna to have to back the reds somewhere around that nine to 12 point margin. Um, I do think it's going to be close for, aspects of it and i do think the force bench is mm. going to come on and really do a job but i just when i look at the team i just think there's too much firepower in the reds um and they can probably just get a few too many points from other areas and i just don't see where exactly those points are going to come from um for the force but um i'll, I'll give you your your chance to rebut that if you if you think it's going to be more or less look i love it I love, who doesn't love a cinderella story um <laughs> I, I i just based on the uh Based on the um, uh, their record so far, I'm, you're right. I'm not seeing enough from the force to see that they're they're, they're aching to score points. Um, they can put some things together. You know, it, it's a funny one. You know, you you, you wander with a with you know Miotti's obviously as you mentioned before is leaving. You know, if they'd started the season and just put Cabelli Miotti at nine and ten, you do, you do wonder whether uh, they don't beat around the bush. You've made these all star recruitments. Just throw them in there and rather than sort of the, the bit of the chopping and changing that they've done. And you just wonder whether that would kind of tell a bit of a different story. Um, you know, I think McIntyre might be waiting to sort of, you know, his, his form and that could be quite critical uh, if, he, if he comes to, 
comes together. But yeah, look, I, I, I mean, the unknown quantity is what will happen in the forward pack. But you're right, I'm I'm not seeing enough there to see it's going to be high scoring from the force's point of view. But if the Reds play an open game, that's what the force will want. So um, I reckon it will be unders. You know, if people are out there betting, I think it will be actually a tighter game. Yeah. But I just, yeah, I'm not seeing the force being able to sort of pull this one off, unfortunately. I think it'll be close. I think you're probably about right. 10 to 12 points is probably not unreasonable. But, um, you know, the, the force might even sort of um, drag it a bit closer. Uh, but I think, yeah, O'Connor's sort of certainly going to, you know, come in and look, he used to play at the force. I don't think that's really going to have any impact on it. But as I said, there's just, there's that familiarity between players and between those teams that I think, you know, it's not quite a rivalry to, you know, rival the sort of Reds and Brumbies, but it, it'll certainly add an element. And I think that'll, that'll be interesting to see some of those um, one-to-one contacts between players. And I think actually historically, some of the games between the Reds and force have been some of my favorite ones to watch. It does seem to be that bit of, somewhere between camaraderie and animosity between the two teams, but they really do seem to like playing each other. The styles of play they have, while they've not ever really been the exact same, they seem to actually blend together quite well into an entertaining game for most of the ones I've watched. So very keen for the game this weekend. I think, um, I think either way, I'm going to be pretty happy at the end of the uh, next podcast. I think Kerr's going to be pretty upset. I think we've got a Reds win and Tars loss coming, but I right, look, <laughs> I, I don't want to count the chickens before they hatch because this force team does excite me. And I'm, I'm keen to see a lot of these players come in, especially Sidalaki Tamani. So um, very excited mm-hmm. for the game. Um, Matt, I, I'm going to wrap it up there and give you some parting thoughts to talk about your documentary if you'd like. But I've really enjoyed having the chat. Um, it's great to have a massive rugby fan on because really um, the only reason I do the podcast is because I like talking about rugby. Um, and clearly yeah. you do as well. And I've, I've enjoyed being able to discuss all aspects of it with you. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Look, that's that's why I made the documentary. It's why I'm doing the podcast. Is it's it's actually helped me kind of repair my my relationship with rugby, and talking to people about it and following all the all the pundits. And it's it's enjoyable that you know there's now almost a new generation of podcasts that have popped up with you guys. And you know I'm sort of sort of on the sidelines, but then there's a couple other really good ones of certainly about Australian rugby that that are all coming together. And I think everyone's filling that gap of just informing people and keeping conversation alive. I think that's what I'm trying to achieve and, you know, I'm happy to do it. Um, keep doing it on my own in my room or, or join other people in forums. It's just, it's, it is fun. The other what we haven't mentioned though, um, is Mr. Rudder, the, the, the forces um, all-star recruitment of uh, Mr. Isaac Rodder um, yes. and, and the implications that might have. That's going to be a interesting one. I know, um, I know we won't be able to play this Super Rugby AU season. I've, I've seen that they've mm. confirmed that, but gee, the heat that's going to be in the games between the Reds and Force next year, if they have him lined up against him, I think that's just going to be dirty. I still see um, a lot of the times on uh, the Reds Rugby Instagram page, definitely worth a follow. Uh, mm. Luke Hansalakai Lodo throws him a lot of shade. Uh, there's normally a few dollar signs yeah. thrown in on photos, a few comments. Um, you know, it's just, <laughs> it's good to see the band is still there. I don't know how uh, serious or agitated it is, but, I think when they get the chance to match up next year, it's going to be very interesting, especially because as I kind of highlighted with the AU side, I think Rodder probably will walk straight back into the Wallabies squad. Um, we don't have mm. the depth, the locks we you know, would like. So even though they've been good in Super Rugby AU, uh, Rodder's going to be probably licking his lips and thinking, gee, I've you know come away of this a fair bit of a winner, even if I'm a bit more hated in the Northern state. So keen for the matchup, keen yeah. for the um, eventual acquisition of him where he actually gets the jersey on but gee turning a lot of heads already on uh online especially from the tars fans actually 
they feel a bit hard done by to miss out on it. It, it is. And look, I, my, my, when I'm looking at that force team, I'm like, oh God, you know, they're getting another person. Where will they go? The most obvious problem one is probably replacing Thrush, who, who won't be playing for, you know, I don't know if the, sort of an evergreen whether he wants to play through till he's sort of 40 or so but that that's probably the most obvious selection is he's coming in to sort of replace some of the older heads so it, it will be look it'll be great for the force um i'm sure it'll help the wallabies having an experienced player back but you're right it's going to add a, a real element it's a shame he's not around to go to brisbane as a water boy this weekend and just run <laughs> on a bit of water and get a few cat calls and you know it's, I, I always do enjoy those sorts of uh those sorts of uh relationships between the the crowds and the players and you know look there's probably going to be some heat i don't don't think queenslanders know any other way but um you know probably a good result all in all to have him back in in australia at least playing rugby i've got to say i think he'd be leaving the match in uh some ten dollar stadium beers if he was uh showing his face at suncorp anytime soon (laughs) i don't know if the fans would be too happy or the uh people you know down in the uh good seats be uh, overly stoked to see him back on the on the green for uh, another team but um very interested to see what happens with Isaac Roddick because he's, I think he left as probably, you know, one of the two best locks in Australia. Um, love to have him and Rory Arnold back in the team, but I'm I'm keen to see the uh, bad blood between some of the players, especially if they get back into the Wallabies squad. I don't know how serious any of it is, but um, oh, it's going to make for a good few headlines, I imagine. I think so, and I think I think I don't I think any players are. Uh, shrinking violets when it comes to fronting up and trying to sort of, you know, and we, we've seen some great physicality, you know, even between teammates and um, probably actual mates. And, and I think that's what rugby's about. It's about putting everything on the field, um, going as harder, playing, even if you're playing against your brother, you'd probably go even harder. And then, you know, once you walk off, it's sort of it's handshakes, beers, and, you know, um, it's all good times. So, yeah, hopefully it comes back and hopefully it's sort of, it's both a sort of, a, it's a positive uh, overall for, for Australian rugby. Well, I'm looking forward to that. Um, also looking forward to having the games on this weekend. I know having the team list out, it's got me very excited. I don't normally have the same level of um, insight, I guess, coming to a podcast recording. So keen to see how these teams shape up. Um, good luck to the force. I'm hoping they um, do well and not too well. <laughs> Indeed. No, thanks for having me on, Mitch. And mate, all the best. I'm sure maybe we'll hook up again uh, throughout the, the 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 season. And and yeah, I've, I've, at the moment I'm still don't have some finite dates for the 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 doco. But when I do, uh, I'll be more than happy to come on and, and tell you a bit more about it and, and and when it's shaping up, it being released. Would absolutely love that. And I'm sure with the next uh, Reds Force game, depending on the result, I'll be either very keen or very uh, <laughs> very shy <laughs> and wanting to talk about it. But um, thanks, Ed, for coming on, Matt. Uh, really enjoyed it. My pleasure, mate. Thanks very much.